Father, as we hear these words from Micah, I pray that you would speak to us now by your Spirit. Help us to understand, change our hearts and our minds, make us more like Jesus. Amen. I wonder how confident you feel about the future. I confess I'm getting increasingly nervous about the next couple of months. Uh, We'll see, won't we? Um, Science fiction is famous. Got any science fiction fans in the room? A few? Handful? Lovely. Well done for owning up. (laughs) Science fiction is famous for its predictions of the future. H.G. Wells predicted nuclear weapons. Arthur C. Clarke predicted geostationary satellites which might sound boring, but that's how we have all sorts of clever things today. Isaac Asimov predicted big data, Aldous Huxley, the decline of privacy, and so on. Science fiction's also famous for getting things wrong, though, isn't it? About 50 years ago, everyone thought we'd be wearing jumpsuits and travelling around in jetpacks. I don't have a jumpsuit. I don't know if any of you... Well, I don't want to know. (laughs) I don't want to know. For all its predictions, the best science fiction uses the future to illuminate and teach us about what's happening today. And I think that's a trick they learned from Old Testament prophets. Don't know, but we'll see. Let's dive in to see what Micah has for us today. We begin, chapter 5, with some famous words from Christmas carol services. Verse 2, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. The words are so familiar to many of us, I'm sure, that it's easy to miss the ominous note there. God promises there to raise up a ruler for his people from Bethlehem. Bethlehem, the ancestral home of Israel's greatest king, David. Except God's people already had a king. And that king was the great, 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 great-grandson of David. I think that was 10. (laughs) This prophecy, it's a bit like one of those big film franchises rebooting a struggling franchise. Verse 1 hints at the demise of Israel's current line of kings. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. That's not a good thing. And then in verse 2, it shows God needs to go back to the origin story. If you've watched any Marvel movies or anything like that. They love going back to the origin story, don't they? Spider-Man. I don't know how many times they've rebooted Spider-Man. Is it four times now? They're constantly going back to the origin story. It's a little bit like what God's doing here. To go back to start again with a fresh branch from the stump of Jesse. And that's not great news for the current kings. More familiar, perhaps, is the size of Bethlehem to us. It isn't even named. So when the people of Israel entered the promised land for the first time, there are these great lists of towns and cities that belong to each of the tribes in Israel. And Bethlehem isn't even listed in the ones given to Judah. There are over a hundred. And it's so small, it's not even listed. But its significance is the fact that it was insignificant. Because one of the most common themes in the Bible is the way God chooses the smallest, the least, the weakest, the common, the unseen, and he uses them. He uses us 
to work through his power and glory. Also, did you notice, there's two little words in there that I sort of noticed for the first time this week. In verse 2, out of you will come for me, God says, a ruler. The ruler is God's because the kingdom is God's. Sounds a bit obvious, doesn't it, to say that the kingdom of God belongs to God. But how often do we act as though the kingdom is ours? As though it is for us, as though we get to decide what it means to live as God's people. Paul makes the same point in 1 Corinthians 8 verse 6. For us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And again, Paul says, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. And what a price. Evidently, this is something that God's people had forgotten, including the kings. They lost sight of the one to whom they belonged. So God said he would provide a new ruler with ancient origins, going all the way back to King David's line, to keep them facing in the right direction, to keep them facing towards God. Three friends were exploring an abandoned theme park. And they came across a mysterious water slide. At the top, a sign read, As you descend, shout your wish, and it will be granted. The first friend went down the slide and shouted, Gold! And sure enough, at the bottom, she landed on a huge pile of gold coins. The second friend saw this, and so as she went down the slide, she shouted, Microsoft shares! This time, she landed on a huge pile of share certificates. By this point, of course, the third friend, well, she was super excited. So as she slung her legs over the edge, pushed herself down the slide, she went, wee! <laughs> they don't get better, do they? they don't, I, I can't promise you many things, but that I can. I wonder what you'd shout for on your way down that magic slide. What would you shout for on the way? What do you long for? Well, through Micah... This is what God promises. He, that's God's ruler, verse 4, will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be our peace. This ruler is going to be our shepherd. We will live securely. He will be our peace. What wonderful promises. God's ruler will be strong like a shepherd looking after and caring for the sheep. God's ruler will stand and his people will sit. That's what the word for live securely really means. God's ruler will be our peace. That word is shalom. Uh, And in the Bible, the word shalom, peace, is not only about the absence of conflict, but the presence of wholeness. And completeness. So uh, in 1 Kings chapter 9, Solomon brings shalom to the temple when he finishes building it. In Job chapter 5, he announces shalom when he counts his flock and finds that none of them is missing. If you want to hear more about it, there's a great video by the Bible Project. It's only three minutes long, all about peace, shalom in the Bible. It's worth looking up this week if you're interested. That's great. 
But there's a rather large question mark here. What's verse 3 all about? Israel will be abandoned. What's that doing sandwiched between this wonderful promise of God's new ruler and this beautiful picture of what his rule is going to look like? In the middle of that, we have this Israel will be abandoned. Well, friends, this is one of the reasons why I love the Bible. It's not always easy to read, and it often makes us uncomfortable. But it is real. Because how many of us have felt or are feeling today abandoned by God? How many of us feel as if God is so close to everyone else but you? The Bible doesn't pretend that God's people are always on top of the mountain with the glorious views, feeling close to God and full of his spirit and power. Praise God, sometimes we are. But the truth is, sometimes we feel abandoned. The harder truth is sometimes God doesn't do the thing we long for him to do, even when it's a good thing. And that, my friends, is where the rubber of faith hits the road of life. And that's why passages like this are so important. They warn us so that when afflictions come, and they will, we don't lose heart. They warn us so we can trust that they won't last forever. Did you spot there is a limit even in the warning? Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the warning itself contains the promise of an end, of a limit to our afflictions. Interestingly, that time was about 500 years. One day, God says, through Micah, there will be peace. There will be shalom. There will be wholeness. There will be completeness. There will be an end to the struggle. And God's ruler will bring us the life we long for one day. Amen to that. Now, earlier on, you'll spot on there, verse 5, and he will be our peace when? There's a bit more to it. I read it out, but I stopped halfway through the sentence. And he will be our peace, lovely, when the Assyrians invade our land and march through our fortresses. He, God's ruler, will deliver us from the Assyrians when they invade our land and march across our borders. What's going on there? Now, of course, the Assyrians aren't much of a threat to us now. Um, I should have looked it up, actually. I'm not entirely sure exactly which bit of the world Assyria was in, sort of Iraq, Iran, somewhere, somewhere around there, I think. Although they were back in Micah's day. They were the, the big empire that was going around conquering all the smaller nations, a sort of precursor to Babylon. So this prophecy about a ruler from Bethlehem, is it really about the sort of geopolitics of Micah's day 2,700 years ago? But surely it's about Jesus. And then it hasn't all happened yet, so is it actually about the future? Well, of course, the answer is yes. It is all of those things. Now, uh, I brought in my, uh, my camera today. We normally see Phil with his camera, but today I've got mine. <laughs> Don't worry, it's, uh, it's got the lens cap on, so I won't be taking any pictures of you. If I look through the camera without the lens cap on, no smart, smart, smart Alex, please. If I look through the camera... What am I looking at? 
Well, obviously nothing at the moment. If I took the lens cap off, whew, it's hard work, this one. What am I looking at? Well, I'm looking at you, except I'm not, am I? I'm actually looking at this little, this little screen in here, which is creating an image from a little sensor that's sort of somewhere in this body bit here, which is all the, the lights going through all these lenses in the, in the lens. And then that's what I'm looking at. When I look through my camera at you, I look at the screen, then the sensor, then the lenses, and then you. I'm looking at all of those things all at once. An Old Testament prophecy is a bit like that. In their visions and the words they heard from God, the Old Testament prophets spoke truth into their current situation. But often, like here, those words also spoke about things that would come in the future. They spoke about Jesus. They spoke about his coming. They spoke about his return. They spoke about the church. So here in this passage, Micah is, was prophesying about how God would deliver his people from the Assyrians a few years later uh, when Hezekiah was king. And he was prophesying the birth of Jesus several hundred years later. And he was prophesying about the life of God's people through the ages. And he was prophesying about Jesus' return all at once, just like looking through the camera. And the fact that God has already shown himself faithful in the first two of those means we can trust him for the rest. Jesus will return. And his perfect rule, which has already begun, will be made perfect and complete and whole. And there will be shalom. I find Micah's vision of the future inspiring. And I long for it to be fulfilled. I long for the day when we can know the fullness of the peace that we know today in part. The vision is inspiring. But like so often with these pesky prophets, he brings us back down to earth with a bump, doesn't he? He doesn't want us to get lost in that longing for God's future. He wants us to know that the life God promises and will bring came at a great cost. It is not cheap. He wants us to know that life only comes through judgment, hence the title of our series. So let's look at what God has to do before his people experience that perfect peace of his rule. Verse 10, In that day, declares the Lord, I will destroy, he says, your horses and your chariots, Your cities and your strongholds, verse 11. Your witchcraft, verse 12. Your idols and sacred stones, verse 13. Your Asherah poles, verse 14. Those Asherah poles were used in idol worship, sort of fertility symbols. I will cut you off, God says, from all your worldly securities and your religious substitutes. He will cut us off from all things that lead us away from him, that distract and divert us from God's way. The world and our hearts are full of things that tempt us away from God, that we worship instead of God, that pretend to satisfy but leave us hollow. How easily we chase after those things. Jesus said, wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. So as well as the Assyrian invasion, Micah's prophecy sees what God would do on the cross, in the future, and today. So first, he sees the cross. On the cross, Jesus stood in our place, as if he were the one who was rebellious. 
as if he were the one who worshipped things that are not God. On the cross, Jesus allowed himself to be destroyed, demolished, cut off, torn down, uprooted. He took our sin and the stuff that needs to be got rid of. And in his body, on the cross, as he died, he killed it dead so we could live. So when God says, in that day I will destroy, verse 10, he is thinking first of the cross and of his own son. God does not speak these words with glee, but with deep sadness at how far he has to go to bring us home. So first, Micah is seeing ahead to the cross. Second, the prophecy sees Jesus' return. On the cross, Jesus won the victory. When he returns, in that day, he will complete that victory. He will finish off every enemy. He will wipe away every tear. Temptation and distraction will be no more. How I long for that day. (laughs) For there to be no more distraction, but only Jesus. These first two lenses of prophecy, they are the foundation and the goal of the life of God's people. They are God's unshakable and his unbreakable promise in Jesus. The third lens is where we live now, in that day, or rather, in this day. And it's where we need to hear the challenge of Micah, because it's where we wrestle with our bruised and our broken hearts, with our sinful desires, with the things, the created things that we worship instead of the Creator. You see, seeing what God will remove fully and finally then tells us where we need to focus our efforts now, where we need to be changed and transformed to become the people God has already made us to be. It's like a a combination of a caterpillar becoming a butterfly and a gardener pruning a rosebush. Some of the transformation just sort of happens by God's Spirit, like the caterpillar becoming a butterfly. It doesn't really do anything. It just sort of happens by its own nature. Some of the transformation of God's people simply happens when we receive the Holy Spirit. Some of it is much more painful than that and requires hard work and pruning. Of course, pruning is quite a violent thing, isn't it? Cutting things out and off. Paul puts it like this in Philippians 2. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. It's a partnership, or or a dance, if you like. I'm not much of a dancer. I won't dance for you now. As we work out God's gift to us in Jesus, and he works in us, the two things go together. Sometimes it hurts. Paul says elsewhere, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. But the goal is wonderful. The goal is Shalom, a transformed and holy people, complete and made whole. Don't get me wrong, Jesus has made the sacrifice. 
He has paid the price in full. He has wiped away our sins. So when God looks at us, he sees us pure as the driven snow. He has won the victory over sin and death and evil. That is his gift. It is already done and it cannot be changed and it cannot be taken away. What I'm talking about is making the most of that gift. Living out the life that Jesus has already won for us. How can we do anything but be transformed when faced with this love? When faced with this wonderful love of God for us in Jesus? How can we but be transformed when we gaze upon the face of Christ? His life is so powerful that it carries us through judgment into life that is stronger even than death, into that everlasting shalom. That is the picture of life through judgment that Micah saw nearly 3,000 years ago. It is God's vision for his people today, and it is the future he is calling us into. It is glorious, it is challenging, but it is God's unshakable and unbreakable promise to us in Jesus. That is God's future. Amen.